Hey, good morning. Good to see everyone. Hey, before I jump in today, I just want to let you all know, and if you're tuning in online, I uh, just want to make sure you're aware, in a few weeks, on October 1st, we're launching a conversation group called Fresh Perspective. And so if you are new to Crossroads, newer to faith, returning, reimagining your faith, walking through a period of going, what do I believe? Why do I believe it? Maybe you have no faith background experience, and you're going, where do I start? Well, our Fresh Perspective group is where you start. And so that group is going to meet at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings to just try and make it easy for those of you that might be newer. So 9 a.m. is the conversation group, and there's some, you listen to a talk throughout the week and come and just chat. And so if you're interested in that, there's a little card that you can scan the QR code on, fill that out, uh, and that'll show you how you could register, or you can register via the Connect card. But this is a really great opportunity to explore what you believe, why you believe, what you don't believe. Uh, and really, we talk about an opportunity to discover or rediscover a faith you can love. And so that's going to launch on October 1st at 9 a.m. if you'd like to be a part of that group, okay? So that's yours to keep or throw away or do whatever you want with. All right, there you have it. So last week we launched our series, right? We talked about uh, this idea of how can we take a story that exists in our world that's very, very popular and pull out from it kind of timeless truths, things that we hold to that every human being kind of experiences. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to continue in this series. Um, and, and before we kind of jump in, how about just a quick review? Because if you haven't seen the show Ted Lasso, or if you weren't here last week, you might go, what in the world are we talking about? So last week, our big point, right, the one main thing, the thing we didn't want anybody to miss was this idea that only love given can break the chains of evil received. And that's what we talked about, and that's what we saw in this story of Rebecca, and this, like, the foundation, the beginning of the Ted Lasso story is Rebecca and Rupert, and how they're going through a divorce, and how she was so hurt by Rupert, and she just wanted to give revenge. That's all she wanted to do, and so the whole premise that starts the season is her trying to destroy the only thing that Rupert loved, the AFC Richmond Greyhounds the soccer team there in England. And we just walked through this process of how we understand and how we saw in kind of living color this idea that only way we can break evil in our world is by extending love and forgiveness. And what does it mean for us to extend that, for us to receive that, to recognize it's our tendency to want to exact revenge, but that doesn't lead anywhere but more violence. So that's kind of what we talked about last week. So let me ask you a question, all right? You're with me this morning. You're here early, ready to go. Have you ever had a situation in your life where you felt like your integrity was being stretched? Maybe you felt like you were asked to do something that just really went against your core values. And in that moment, how many of you thought to yourself, you know what, I really don't want to be a person of integrity. Let's go for it. That's generally not what happens, right? We generally find ourselves in a moral dilemma of sorts, right? We find ourselves asking the big question like, how do I get through this? How can I say no without harming myself? You know, whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation might be. Well, today we want to kind of turn our attention to this wonderful character that's part of the Ted Lasso series, all throughout, and plays a very kind of foundational role, and, uh, and that is the character of Leslie Higgins. Now, Leslie Higgins, he is the oversees all of like football operations. He's the director of football operations, right? And as the story unfolds, we learn about Higgins that he's this extremely caring and kind and generous person, right? It seems like he's always giving up something throughout all the, the whole story. He, he's constantly giving up his office for someone who needs it. At one point in time, he's working in the broom closet, right? 
He shows and demonstrates a deep loyalty to the club itself. He demonstrates a loyalty to his friends, and he becomes this kind of wise and humble figure, kind of like Gandalf, if you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings stuff, right? He just is this person that people know they can count on. He's very quirky. Uh, He's a very interesting character like that. He doesn't quite seem to fit into the like high ego, high stakes context of professional sports. Yet, while imperfect for sure, he just seems to be this person who remains very true to who he is, true to his values. He's trustworthy, loyal, and he seems to have high integrity throughout the whole show. And so that's really what we want to dive into today is looking at this issue of integrity and how, how we find ourselves in these dilemmas and what, 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 what we can do. What's a healthy way to respond to them? Well, what is integrity? That's kind of the first question. We throw this word out there. Uh, in her book, Integrity, Doing the Right Thing for the Right Reason, Dr. Barbara Killinger, she writes this. She defines integrity as this personal choice, an uncompromising and predictably commit, consistent commitment to honor morality, ethics, spirituality, artistic to these kinds of values and principles. And she says that integrity exists in contrast to morality and ethics, which are these externally imposed values that a whole community kind of says we consensually live under them, right? And we, we assign them as common good for the whole society. So that's moral and ethics. But integrity is that internal state of being, right? It's that internal state of being that guides us towards making wise, moral choices and intelligent ethical decisions, right? Now, here's what I would propose. I would propose that the Bible word for integrity, right? Now, this is going to blow your mind, is the word heart. So if you've been around the Bible for a while, if you're reading or understanding like the Jewish concept of heart, that probably is one of the closest Bible words for this idea of integrity because it's that internal thing that exists below our choices, it exists below our morality, below our ethics. It is that thing that guides us. And so in the Hebrew, in the ancient you know, Israelite mind, right, it, the, the heart wasn't just a place of emotion. It wasn't just a place of thinking. It existed at a deeper space, at a deeper level. And we might actually call it integrity. Now, why does it matter? You're like, Brian, why does this matter? Why am I even here today? Okay, I totally get it. I totally understand. We're going to get you out of here in time for the Denver Broncos, I promise. Okay. I can't have you out of here in time for the Colts at 11. It's just, that's too much pressure, too much pressure on me. Okay, now, but why does it matter? Here's the thing. Without integrity, without that internal drive, right, for consistency and commitment. The values that we say we hold are simply what we would call aspirational values, things that we aspire to but we never actually become. It's just something we want to be. It's kind of this idea, right? Um, How many of you would say, I I love, this is my favorite example. How many of you would say, I want to be a generous person? Raise your hand up nice and high, okay? Now, how many of you love to give stuff away? Right, There's, there's a lot fewer hands, okay? right? We all want to be generous, but the actual integrity of that statement, when like, when it comes time to like give your neighbor something, to just borrow for heaven's sake, right? Not even to give forever, right? Or when it comes time to you to get that phone call from whatever charity that you love every year, and you love what they do, you love the work, but then it's like, do you want to make a donation? And then it's like, well, how little could I give to kind of make a difference, right? So we all have these aspirations. Without integrity, we just say we love, we support things, right? 
That's the idea. That's why it's so important. And without integrity, we'll fail to act in such a way that promotes peace on earth. Now, as a community like ours that says, this is why we exist, why our organization exists, is to equip people to be peacemakers in their everyday normal lives following the path of Jesus. Without integrity, we can't like, live into choices that build peace, that honor the sacredness of all creation. We actually will live our lives kind of functionally thinking about ourselves. We'll think through like, the decisions that are best for me without any regard for what happens around us. And then what do we do? We sacrifice our integrity. And why do we do that? When do we do that? Well, we sacrifice our integrity when we lack the courage of our convictions. Right? We all have foundational convictions about how the way the world works, what we want our family to be, the type of worker we want to be, the type of boss we might want to be. But here's the thing, when we lack the courage to wait for the promotion, what will we do? will probably act in a way that is contrary to our integrity to get that promotion just a little bit faster. If you're in here and you're a student and you're at school and you see the making fun of and the bullying taking place, when we lack the courage of our conviction, we just jump in. We join in in that activity rather than stopping it, rather than standing up and being a voice against those types of things because we might believe that, but we don't have the courage. Or maybe something happens in our work and then it's like, well, how do I move forward? How do I, how do I get past this? And we risk losing our job, right? When we have to speak up and speak the truth. So we hold quiet and eventually we lose our moral authority in whatever context we sacrifice. We lose that moral authority when we lack the courage of our convictions, right? Now, moral authority is not the power to get to tell someone how to live. That's not what moral authority is. Moral authority isn't the idea that, well, I went to school and I studied the Bible and I studied the Christian. Now I get to tell you how to be a Christian. I have that moral authority. No, moral authority is about credibility, right? It's about consistency and trust. Not that you go and get a degree for, not that you even earn. It's just trust that someone places in you because they believe you are legitimate. <laughs> they believe that you are worthy of that trust, right? And so that's what moral authority is. We give people, we give organizations moral authority because we think that they have the integrity to guide and shape our ethical behavior. They have the consistency, the expertise, they lead by example. And so we choose to place moral authority and credibility. And that's why it's so devastating when we've done that with a person or an organization, and then we find out, oh my goodness, like behind the scenes, it's been completely different than what I thought. So when you and I say to someone in the heat of the moment, or maybe we internally say it, we say, you have no moral authority on this matter, right? We're saying that you have not acted in a way that you should influence me at all. <laughs> and here's what's interesting with this character, Higgins. Throughout the whole show, he's this beloved character, right? And he seems to show incredible integrity. But the reality is, when we first meet him, we meet him in a place where he had lost his integrity in the story. He had felt deeply the truth of Proverbs 19.1, the wisdom of Proverbs 19.1, which says, better the poor walking in integrity than one perverse of speech who is a fool. Because Higgins had become, in the minds of at least Rebecca, this person whose speech was perverse and who had become foolish. Now, in the book of Proverbs, for the wisdom writer, for the wisdom teacher, failing to be human Failing to act in a way that, that 
flourishes humanity was worse than poverty, right? It was the worst. And perversive speech, right, is this idea of a person whose words are untrue. They're duplicitous in nature. They're not life-giving. And so foolishness, right, is failing to be human, failing to be human. And that's what it means in the Proverbs. When we fail to be human, when we fail to live in a way that honors the humanity of all people, when we live without virtue, when we act in an anti-human way. And Proverbs says, listen, better to, better to have poverty than to be that person who your, your tongue is so duplicitous, your words are so perverse that you are not even functioning as a human being. And humanity, according to the biblical tradition, boy, that's a big deal. Where we ever get this idea of like, oh, I'm only human. How many of y'all ever said that? I'm only human. I think somebody wrote a song about that sometime, right? I don't know. What a terrible statement. I'm only human. From the biblical tradition, oh my goodness, humanity is made in the image of God, filled with their own glory. You are filled with your own glory as a human being, unique and beautiful, filled with honor all on your own as a human being. Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 through 6, this beautiful poem that we have, says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've established. In other words, when I look at the grandeur of all creation that you are entwined with, that flows somehow from the divine, and I think to myself, what are humans? What are humans that you're mindful of them? mortals that you care for them. Like, what are we all about? Like, I just, I just think, oh my goodness. But then it says, yet you've made humans just a little lower than the divine beings, just a little lower. And you crowned them with glory and honor. You've given them dominion over the works of your hands. Like there's something beautiful and powerful about humanity. And there's something awful and foolish and devastating when we function and live and breathe in anti-human ways. And so we fail to be human, right? When we don't walk in honesty, when we don't live with integrity towards the well-being of other people, when we're just concerned with only our comfort. And when we act in these anti-human ways of being and thinking, what happens? Well, the truth is you can prosper financially. <laughs> you can get advanced in this life. You can move forward. But at the end of the day, you're still deeply impoverished. And Higgins, our character today understood that and had to learn it the hard way because he had experienced the impoverishment of character, the death of a relationship because of his duplicity, duplicity because of his lack of integrity. And we see that he had lost his integrity, he had lost his moral authority with Rebecca, the character we looked at yesterday, uh, in this scene in the first season where he confronts Rebecca about her scheme and her plan to harm the, the, the whole the whole team to destroy it, right? So, so he goes in and he, he's talking with her about the fact that they haven't sold enough tickets and she wants to release all the tickets to the opposing team. And he says, if we do that, it'll be like, we're, like the stadium is no longer like a home game for us. It'll be devastating. And she's like, yes, it'll be wonderful. Rupert will hate it. I love it. And at this point, like he has it and he confronts her and he says, I'm sick of it. And he says, and he gives her this beautiful, beautiful piece of wisdom. I mean, it's amazing. He says, you won't take away your pain by constantly punishing Rupert. And if you're watching the show, you're like, yes, you tell her. You love it. But then you see her face. And you see her face just like turn. And she says this even more profound statement. Where were these morals of yours? 
when you were having lunch with me so that Rupert could have sex in our house. She said, I thought we were friends. You had every opportunity to do the right thing, and you never did. Whew. That's actually better than what he said. <laughs> but see, isn't it a great picture of like, he had all kinds of wisdom, but for Rebecca, he's just a fool. He's just a hypocrite. The way that he had treated her, the, like his fear. And there in that moment is the sting and the loss of moral authority. Like there's the revelation that Higgins hadn't acted with integrity and it had cost him dearly. It cost him his relationship. His relationship with Rebecca had been harmed. He was too scared of Rupert, too scared of losing his job, too scared of what it might cost him to do the right thing. But had he, perhaps his relationship would have been preserved. Perhaps something better would have happened in life. Another beautiful psalm, Psalm 25:21, says this, may integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Now Psalm 25 is, is a poem that's written from the perspective of someone who is hurting, who's feeling the pain of enemies, who doesn't know where to turn or what to do and has options. <laughs> but has said, you know what? I'm not gonna function against my integrity under this distress. Where my integrity is being pushed and challenged, I'm actually gonna wait on God. I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna let my own integrity, my own uprightness hold me. Right, this poet believes that God, who is a source of love, compassion, strength, and rescue, that's the God of this poem. That there is a God who rescues, there is a divinity, there is a divine nature to the world that works and so I will rest in my integrity, and I'll rest in my honesty, and I will wait. And verse 21 of, the, of this poem that we've read is really the reason why the poet refuses to act against their values, because of that big belief that what? The integrity was a preservative against evil and death. The integrity could preserve them even in the face of death. The New Living Translation puts it this way, may integrity and honesty protect me for I put my hope in you. I love that translation. May integrity and honesty protect me. They're preservatives, they're protections. And here's what's interesting. We see Higgins come to terms with this principle, with this truth of the preservative nature, the protective nature of integrity and honesty. In that very same scene, after Rebecca confronts him, she calls him out. She says, where were your morals in all of this? And in that moment, Higgins responds to her legitimate indictment of his character. And he doesn't respond with defensiveness. He doesn't respond with, Rebecca, you have no idea what life was like for me having to work with Rupert. You would have done the same thing. Get off my back. How many of y'all know you and I would respond probably like that? And if you say you don't, you're lying through your teeth because when your spouse or your significant other or your brother or your sister tries to offer you correction, you immediately get defensive just like I do. But that's the beauty of stories. They show us the best of ourselves and the worst of ourselves. They present these things to us. And in this moment, he responds beautifully, and he says, you're right. And he says, and I deserve to carry that around with me. I do. I should have been braver. I should have been braver, and I'm sorry for that. I am. And in that moment, the conversation kind of ends. It goes on, and he quits because he won't repeat the same mistake. 
He won't participate. He won't be duplicitous. He won't go against his nature. He won't lie for another powerful leader just to save his job because it would destroy too much of his own humanity. It would cost him too much of his integrity. And so from this point on in the show, very early on, it seems that Higgins then becomes the model for loyalty and integrity. He's this rock in the whole story. He's just a person that others count on. He becomes this source of wisdom and compassion. It's kind of like how God is described in the Psalms. In Psalm 18, the writer says, the Lord is my rock. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You see, the psalmist believed deeply that God can be experienced personally like a trusted friend who was full of loyalty and full of integrity. God can be experienced personally. Dr. Marcus Borg writes in his really fantastic book, The God We Never Knew, Beyond Dogmatic Religion to a More Authentic Contemporary Faith. And he says this, he says, according to the New Testament, he writes, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And the Christian message is the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And as the image of God, Jesus discloses what God is like. He is an icon, to use a Greek word, for an image, right? He is an icon through whom God is seen. And as the image of the invisible God, Jesus is for Christians the decisive revelation of what God is like. And we hold that Jesus modeled the loyalty and integrity of God to the fullest extent that a human being can and could. That you and I can model that and live in that same integrity as Jesus. See, the point of Jesus was not to show us how to be God, but how to be human. To say, this is what humanity is at its best. And so because we believe that in Jesus the fullness of God dwelt, we look and we see that Jesus, God, showed integrity and loyalty to his disciples. He showed integrity and loyalty to his vision of what God was like. He showed integrity to the poor and the marginalized, to his vision of God and the kingdom of God and what life should be like on earth for everyone. He showed his integrity in the midst of religious persecution and the leaders of Rome coming after him. He showed his integrity to this understanding that he saw God as a parent, a father. Ultimately, he held his integrity and he held his loyalty to this vision, to this idea, to the point of his martyrdom on a cross and eventually to his resurrection. And in Jesus, we see this path of peace revealed through humanity. And it's this demonstration of a love that holds us all, this God who is full of integrity, who is there and present always with us. Because God is not another entity, another being that sits alongside of you and me. But God is all of being, is, is, is the foundation of being existence. And so that's why we can say that God is present and with us and full of integrity and love and kindness. So here's what I don't want us to miss as we look at the story of Higgins and we think about the scriptural and the biblical tradition about the character and nature of God and, and how Jesus lived out this character is that peacemakers follow in the steps of Jesus and we model the loyal and integrity of God in our everyday normal lives. And you and I need people in our lives who do that. And we need to be people who do that as well. We need people in our lives that we know we can call and they will always be honest with us. 
that we can share with them what's going on in our lives, and they have the moral authority to tell us, hey, I think you're thinking well here. I think you're thinking in a healthy way. But then they'll also have the integrity to put a little bit of strain on our relationship to say, I think there's a problem in the way you're thinking. I think there's some problems. I think there's some danger, Will Robinson, in that action. And hopefully we learn to call those people before the action. But it's a good start to talk to them afterwards, at least. And those are the people that we turn to, that we, we ground ourselves in and we value. And so in your everyday normal life, you and I trying to walk in this peacemaking path of Jesus to model the integrity and loyalty that we experience in God. How do we do that? Well, I just, I think we have to remember a couple of things. We have to live our lives remembering that integrity and loyalty always require bravery. Always require bravery. It's never going to be easy to live in your integrity. You know why I know that? Because we wouldn't be talking about it today if it was. <laughs> if it was easy, we wouldn't be talking. I wouldn't have to encourage you. The scriptures wouldn't have to over and over again call us to. You know what we don't ever find in the scripture? Like, please eat more sugar. <laughs> You'll never find a commercial that says to remain happy and healthy that explicitly says this. You just need to exercise less. It's only the things that are difficult, right? It's only the things that are hard that we talk about, right? It's a great understanding. If we see something in our tradition, in the Bible or in church history, and it seems like it's talked about, it's because it was an issue, <laughs> right? And so without bravery, we'll always, we'll always fall, we'll always fall to the pressure. And, and the beautiful thing about being a person of faith, right, is that we don't have to lean on our own strength so that we can lean into the strength of God. We can find wisdom in prayer. We can find wisdom in pause and listening because we are constantly faced with choices that will slowly erode at our integrity and our moral authority if we're not careful. We're slowly faced with opportunities for the little white lies, opportunities to, to cut the corner here or there. And it's always gonna take bravery to say no, I'm not going to do it. Another thing we have to remember in these moments is that when we feel like, okay, I, I'll just violate it a little bit, that no, that's no big deal, it's no problem, what, it's, I'm, I'm in between a rock and a hard place. The truth is that when we violate those values and in our integrity, we will do that. It's going to happen. Everybody take a nice deep breath. It's going to happen. And when it happens, we just have to remember we can reestablish that relationship. We, are, we can reestablish that moral authority when we do what? When we own it and we do better next time. That's a beautiful picture of what we see in the character of Higgins. He owned it and then he did better the very next time, which was, happens to be in that moment. Now, the Bible word for this idea of owning it and doing better next time is repent. How many of y'all like that word? Yeah, you're weird. Nobody likes that word. <laughs> Just kidding. Repent, like it's a word that can often be used to control people, manipulate people, things like that. But the word repent at the end of the day is this idea of owning it when you understand it, when you understand the error, when you understand the pain that you've caused, when you understand the, the mistake that's been made, you own it, and then you do better next time. I don't know why we complicate this so much. <laughs> I mean, Maya Angelou had it right. We do better when we know better, right? I mean, that's just, that's, that's what repentance is. It's a it's a beautiful way of living. It's a free way of living. 
that says, I don't have to get it right all the time. I'm never going to get it right all the time. I just own it, and I do better next time. And when we live in that cycle, we can remember something really powerful. When we're faced with the opportunities and we've walked through the pain of having to own it and remember it, I want to encourage you to remember that integrity and loyalty eventually lead to resurrection. Integrity and loyalty eventually lead to resurrection. We see this in the biblical tradition that, that the story that our ancient writers tell us is that God chose Jesus and elevated Jesus to the right hand of the Father. God chose this path of Jesus and said yes to Jesus and no to the duplicitous, lack of integrity, power-driven, violent nature of the world. That's the story of the resurrection, is God choosing in Christ, saying this is real living. This is what it means to be human. And we see resurrection in this story. So you remember last week when, when Ted forgave Rebecca, like she went in and came clean. Well, it's that same episode after that experience, Rebecca heads over to Higgins' house because Higgins had quit. And she goes in and in this really kind of fun, lighthearted, beautiful scene, she finds the unemployed Higgins playing a big upright bass. He's in his living room. He's got some new facial hair that reflects his mood. Right? There's some, there's some quick, you know, some very humorous. And she, she taps on the window and it like scares him to death while he's playing this upright bass, right? It's a really humorous moment. And then they sit down in the living room and, and Higgins is clearly in a mix of emotions about the meeting. You see it on his face. He goes from like confusion to anger. And after a little bit of a humorous dialogue about Higgins' new facial hair uh, and how Rebecca came clean to Ted, she tells him... And, and he asked her, like, well, what did he do? And she, like, in language probably not appropriate for church, like, he forgave me. Can you believe it? So they kind of have a bit of humor there. And then, then Rebecca just kind of takes this deep breath. And with all this sincerity, with all this humility, she says, that's, that's not actually why I'm here. She says, I wanted to apologize to you for treating you so poorly for forcing you to be an accomplice in my moronically childish scheme. I'm truly sorry, Higgins. And with that, she breathes out a big sigh because we learned last week that the only way to deal with evil is love, right? So she's now kind of living this out a little bit. And now Higgins is just quite confused and puzzled, right? He's just looking at Rebecca who at their last encounter made it very clear that she was going to do everything to make his life miserable. And in bewilderment, just Higgins gently and softly, after reflecting on her words, he just says, wow, thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. And Rebecca goes on and she says, I lost my way there for a minute, but I'm, I'm on the road back. I'm on the road back. And Higgins smiles and kind of playfully says, I can tell. You know it suits you. And the scene ends, and then the next time we see Higgins, he's back in Rebecca's office. And they're sitting at the desk working together, and there's all kinds of great energy in the room because there's been honesty, and there's been integrity, and there's been forgiveness. And in a sense, he's resurrected back into his job. He's resurrected back into a new life, a new way of living where there's honesty, where they've walked through the difficulties, they've walked through the death, 
and they've come out on the other side. And Ted walks in in his normal, jovial character, and he's just filled with joy. And he's like, Higgins, you're back. And there's this really funny scene, just filled with energy, like, okay, things have been set right. And what we find and what we understand is that maintaining our integrity and our loyalty in those moments that we know very well will bring about death in our lives, the loss of a job, the strain on a friendship, whatever it might be, will also bring about new life on the other side. It just might take a few days in the grave. It just might take a little bit of darkness. But that is who God is. And that is what love is. And that is what love does. That it's not always in our timing, but integrity and loyalty preserve hope, like the psalmist says. And could you imagine a world filled with billions and billions and billions of peacemakers committed to living in integrity, committed to living in honesty. Because integrity and loyalty and honesty, they preserve hope in us as individuals. And that makes me a better person. <laughs> that in the midst of my darkness, I can have hope that there's light at the other side. Because one thing I know for sure, life doesn't play favorites. Doesn't matter what your faith is. Doesn't matter what your economics are. Doesn't matter where you grew up. Life doesn't play favorites. We'll have our ups and our downs, our darkness day, our dark days and our bright days. But we can trust that when we're walking in that narrow path of life, which ultimately leads to restoration and redemption and purpose and meaning and true life in our world, what Jesus would call the kingdom of God present with us right now, when we hold to our integrity and remain loyal to our values, we have hope that they will carry us through. Another thing that's powerful about integrity and loyalty is that it makes us dependable people. How many of y'all want to be dependable? How many of y'all want somebody in your life who's dependable? Gosh. Man, when I go through the ringer, I know that there are people that are, they're going to call me. They just know it. They're going to send me a text. They're just dependable like that. Now, I don't even have to ask. They're just dependable. I need that. And I know I can get that from God, and I value that. But I experience it in God when I experience it in people even more profoundly. And I need that, and I want to be that. I want to be that, that person that people turn to and they trust. Not because I'm perfect, but maybe just because I'm dependable. So what is it that God's inviting you into today as we take a few moments to reflect, to share in communion? Why are you here? Why are you listening in? Why are you tuning in? Maybe it's to just begin to invest energy in a relationship with God that's revealed in Jesus. I love Borg in that same book. He talks about just kind of like three things that have become really valuable and important in his faith journey. One is that God is real. Number two, that you can have a relationship with this God as seen in the person of Jesus and that this relationship can change your life. And as Dennis Anderson said, we should add can also change your community. And that's what it's about. And maybe, maybe Jesus for you has been something else. Maybe Jesus for you has been behavior control, behavior modification. Maybe it's just been a family thing and you've never really had that relationship with the divine. Well, I think as a community, we're here to say you can. You can. Just there's some energy involved that we put towards that. 
Maybe God's whispering into your heart to just live bravely and choose integrity and loyalty in a situation that you're facing right now that's really challenging. And you just hear God's spirit just say, be like me. Hold to those values. Maybe you have a person in your life who's super dependable and you haven't said thank you in a while. Maybe the spirit of God is just whispering, send a thank you note this week. Tell that person who's extremely dependable in your life what it means. So we're going to have communion together and we're going to reflect and sing and got one other announcement for you and then our blessing. And As you receive communion today, just a reminder to everybody who's here, this is for everyone. doesn't matter if this is the first time you've walked in this building, if you've never heard the idea of Jesus or God or faith. There's, trust me, you are loved by God. And that's the beauty of the message of Jesus, that there is a God that is one and universal and present in all our lives working. And and you're in because you are loved. And so communion is an opportunity where we reflect and remember that this love was demonstrated in the person of Jesus who gave himself to show this world that violence will never end violence, that only forgiveness and grace and love and integrity and loyalty and these things that we're talking about and these character qualities that we, our hearts are drawn to in these characters like Higgins and Rebecca and Ted Lasso, they come to us because they're part of God. So you're invited during this next song to come receive the bread and the juice. Also, if you're here today and there's something that you'd like to pray with someone about, something weighing in on your heart, um, we'll have, uh, I, I think, a couple of folks, Shelly and John, and maybe are going to be uh, to the right and left. If you'd like prayer during these next songs, you're welcome to do that. This first song that we're going to sing, I want you all stand up if you can, if you'd like to. After you, after you receive communion, you're welcome to sit, do whatever you want to do. This first song, the lyric says, I will look back and see that you're faithful. I'll look ahead believing you are able. Believing you are able. So I look behind, I look back, I see that you are faithful. That is the loyalty of God, always present, always with us. The body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. So take a few moments to reflect on this love that we live in, this integrity that we can lean into that's found in God but also that we can demonstrate and give away in this world.